Welcome back to another episode of Product Love, hosted by Eric Bodick, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of Pendo, a product experience platform. Every day we use different kinds of products to help us go about our lives. Behind each product is a product manager who has carefully built something they hope their users love. This is Product Love, the podcast where we interview product managers and explore the craft of product management. This week on Product Love, I talked to Mahir, who's head of products at AdRoll. If you don't know AdRoll, AdRoll is an e-commerce growth platform that helps brands grow revenue through seamless marketing and advertising. On Product Love, Mahir and I talked about roadmaps and product plans and how those are aligned with the market. And let's face it, that's a hard thing to do. Product managers are constantly being pulled in all directions by the sales team, by their CEOs, and of course by customers. Mahir believes those challenges are often a symptom of misalignment early on. So when building a product in the first place, he spends a lot of time ensuring all of leadership are locked into the alignment with the product approach. He sets the context for the product and then it makes it easier to keep people aligned as new things come up, new emergencies, new priorities, new opportunities. So this got me to thinking, does context setting help with alignment? If product managers set product principles or product themes, would that help other teams understand the product's capabilities, the direction, and what will or won't fit in the roadmap? And I started thinking, well, how do you align marketing and sales with your product? How do you set the context for them to understand? Well, give it a listen and let me know what you think. Email me at ebodak at pendo.io or shoot me a note on Twitter. My handle is ebodak. Well, welcome lovers of product. Today, I am here with Mahir. Mahir is the head of products for the AdRoll Group and VP of product for Rollworks. Mahir, can you start off by giving us a little overview of your background? Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, my name is Mahir. I'm the head of product for AdRoll. And I've been a tech exec for a long time. I'm a, some might call me a veteran. But yeah, I've been in the tech community, living out of the Bay Area for 22 years. And as part of that, you know, being part of many different software and tech companies and part of their growth and part of their challenges. But I started my background in, in uh, tech by being an engineer. I have a degree in computer science from India. I came to the United States to pursue my dream of working with tech companies. Got myself to California to work at uh, Adobe Systems and spent 11 great years at Adobe in a variety of roles. And uh, that's uh, one of the ways I got into product management was that I got a chance to work at one of the initiatives within Adobe after I got my MBA in the evenings. And that was a great opportunity to transition into product management because it was within the same company. And that was a, a good start for me. So tell me about your time as a product manager at Adobe. You know, this is a while back. Was product management as coveted a role back then as it is today? And maybe even tell me a little bit more about how you think product management was perceived back then compared to today. Yeah, if you look back many years, one of the things that I have seen in large companies like Adobe is that product management has specialization type of focus you're applying your energies to. And so, for example, we would have, you know, a different type of product managers that are focusing on more of the business part of the product 
and they would tend to spend a lot of time you know analyzing the business they would tend to have mbas they would spend a lot of time in spreadsheets they would be working with product marketing and they would be working with finance and then there was a separate class of product managers that would be really what i would call domain experts in the product that they would be you know managing so for example if you're working on photoshop then you're deep into the photography world if you're working on acrobat you're deep into the document workflow world and know a lot about you know the document workflows and so on and so what i saw at the time is that larger companies had these specializations and and yet you know they from you mentioned you know whether these roles were coveted and definitely they were and are still pretty coveted roles within the company but i still feel that um, you know there there wasn't and there isn't a lot of understanding and clarity on why there is that cachet of product managers and even to this date i think people mistakenly assume it's the one job everyone should have or or so on without asking whether you have the skills for it whether you have the joy for doing the work that is needed or or so on and i think that's an area that as an industry we we can do much better at but i think um, you know the function itself today is much different in that today you don't have the luxury to have this separate you know uh, focus areas if you are a successful product manager you have to be well rounded in being able to know the domain as well business part of how you take the product and make it successful and make a business around it and so i would say that today it's not you know uh, the the one thing that you do after an mba school in fact it's the other way around you have to really understand the technology and you have to really understand how the product is built and how you how you innovate with some of the new things that are coming up and and make a business with it and so i i think that that separation of duties is less relevant today than it was back then so do you think it was more fun to be an entry level product manager back when you know you started at adobe or today i think it would be much more fun today i, I honestly because uh, you know that you would be able to get a you know the learning opportunity that you get in terms of being able to cover various aspects of how to make a product successful are a lot more today than before because you you could still you know look at one aspect of the business perhaps and then today you really have to as i mentioned before understand the customers understand the technology figure out the right solution from it also figure out how to work with sales and marketing or or other functions to take it to the market and it's all all uh, coordinated through the product management function and so i think it is uh, for a for a person coming into this role i think being just that much more well rounded today is a lot more exciting because you know the alternative would have been that you're you know coming out of you know college let's say or you're getting into product management for the first time in your career and if all you're seeing is a slice of the business you end up having more questions than you have answers to and then you'll you're going to try to find the time chasing those answers to those questions about where the blind spots are because you may not be responsible for it but that's the time that you're not spending talking to customers and building the product so i i think this is a great time today for people to get into product management 
Awesome. I think that's good to hear. Yeah, I feel like the space has moved a little more from art to craft, maybe not quite science yet, right? Would Would you agree with that, having been in the space for a while? Yeah, and I think, you know, we definitely, I like the word craft that you use because I think it's just a, there is a lot more information today. There's a lot more data today, obviously. And, you know, you're getting the data at a much more faster clip than it was before. But, you know, the discipline of asking the right question and then informing your decision based on the data is kind of the craft, I guess. That's what you're talking about. But, you know, we definitely have progressed by, you know, leading a lot less on our intuition and being a lot more data informed today than were before. Uh, Yet, I think the speed of decision making has, in my view, dramatically increased over the past few years. And that's a good thing. But yeah, we definitely have a lot more information now. The flip side is that you have to be really building a new muscle of uh, not getting drowned in all of this information, but being able to really focus on the right questions and looking at the data the right way to find the answers to those questions. So you're making the right decisions quickly. And that's also, frankly, one of those traits that a lot of young product managers struggle with. And uh, I think that if you're, have built that muscle, I think that is a lot of powerful impact that you can get so that you're not getting lost in this abundance of data that we have now. I think those are good points. Now, going back to your history a little bit, you know, you transitioned from, you know, Adobe, which is a big company today, you know, still a relatively big company back then, I would argue a big company. Now you're at AdRoll and you've done startups. So what was the transition from Adobe to startups like? Uh, yeah, it, it was, uh, I'd say there's two words that come straight to mind. You know, one is that there's a lot of freedom and it's very scary at the same time. And let me explain why for both of those cases, you know, the, the freedom part comes in obviously because you are able to impact a lot more about the business and you're able to take a lot more quick decisions, you know, like freedom not to create for example, a 350-page you know document trying to describe your product requirements. Freedom from not having to go through you know 17 reviews with 65 slides with a bunch of meetings to try to get to the next stage. I think those are the things that you know allowed somebody in much more smaller, nimbler environments to move much faster. Freedom to run experiments on the website to see if a certain price point makes you know more sense than wait for six months to work with agencies to come up with the right pricing model. So I think that the speed and the freedom to get to that speed was awesome, you know, but yet it's scary because you don't have all the resources. So you have to, uh, you know, there's this constant doubt whether you're doing a good job, whether you're the best person to be finding these answers. But, you know, there's like no choice but to try these and, and get the answers and then learn from that. The learning was the exhilarating part. And I'll just give you an example. During the first couple of weeks when I left Adobe and I joined a smaller startup, we wanted to do some design exercise and, and learn something from customers. And if you're at Adobe, you have a whole team to help you with this and we they create a whole project and there'd be you know, three to five people in, in the design team or in the user research team or, or so on, uh, you know, work with you to conduct a, a proper discipline research project. Um, might take a little longer and you know you're used to that and I came into this place and within a couple of weeks I had no one but to do it myself and 
you know, I walked up to the Starbucks down the street, uh, talked to customers, came back, did some manual card sorting exercises with, you know, creating piece of paper and drawing screens and cutting them and validating it with customers. But scary at the same time, because I was asking myself, you know, am I doing this right? I'm not a professional yet, but I'm learning. This is fun. I'm getting the answers from the customers. That's much more important. So there was like a lot of examples like that were, you know, both important learning experiences, but also uh, if you're not careful, you could cause a lot of doubt in your head. And But I think at the end of the day, if you just ask yourself, are you helping the customer and are you helping the business and are you learning? And then you can be rooted and not get lost in doubt and so on. So tell us a little bit why you decided to make the transition from Adobe into the world of startups. Yeah, I think, you know, this was back in the time where, you know, a lot of, uh, I would say, changes were happening around how we were moving from, you know, desktop products to products that are, you know, used. I mean, we call them software as a service at the time. There was no such term as software as a service. And I'm exposing my age a little bit here, but there was a lot of changes happening in terms of, you know, business models, delivery models, and the technology maturity around it. And more importantly, there were a lot of new companies that were coming up that were taking advantages of these changes. And I was asking myself, is there something I'm missing in terms of my skill sets? And one of the realizations that I got was that the skills and experiences you get in working at a large company like Adobe are are really to focus on scaling, right? So, and the discipline that you get is the discipline that you need to have when you have to think about a change that you're making in the product that will affect hundreds of thousands of customers. And that's an important discipline. I call it like a discipline that you need to have for scale, but there's a different kind of muscle that you need to build Uh, which I was lacking and which drove me to leave and and join startups, which is about how do you you really understand product market? How do you grow that product market fit and and more products uh, adoption around that very quickly? And so it may be like you're going from 10 customers to 100 customers to 1,000 customers over, you know, a very compressed time frame. And, And the type of skills and the type of work that is needed is very different. Like, for example, stakeholder management is very different because you've got to bring people together and you have to assess things very differently as opposed to, as I mentioned before, you know, going through multiple rounds of view, the timelines for customer discovery are very different and so on and so forth. So just the, the fact of growing a product that is just found or, or is not sure about product market fit and scaling that is a very different skill set for a product manager to have than the rigor needed to make sure that it scales from hundreds of thousands of customers to millions. So let's talk a little bit about what got you into AdRoll. And can you share a success story you've had with the team there? Yeah. So the one part that I really loved about AdRoll and why I joined here was that the core technology that, you know, that the company has allowed me to build a product that I think was uh, missing in the market. And let me explain that a little bit. The company that I worked at before I joined AdRoll was a marketing tech company, a tech company. And I was also responsible for marketing in addition to product in that company. And as being the same person who's looking at product and marketing, I'm also building the product while also, you know, building a demand gen engine for the product and driving leads or driving 
qualified accounts to the sales team to go after and so on. And I, I found that there were no good, you know, account-based platforms, if you will, that uh, really solved that problem very well. And when I got the opportunity to talk to AdRoll, it felt like a way to complete that story because, you know, I've firsthand uh, in my previous company as being, you know, somebody who's also looking at marketing and I felt the pain as a part-time marketer. And then when I got the uh, opportunity to talk to the ad role and the Rollworks team here, which is our B2B division, uh, which is building an account-based platform that helps marketers identify the right leads and go after the right accounts and engage them, I felt that, you know, I can actually go in and solve what in my view was unfinished business, if you will. And the technology was like the thing that I think is the right way to solve this problem. And so I was really excited about that opportunity to complete the journey, if you will. And as I think you asked about like maybe other success stories. Yeah, yeah. Take us I, through a success story you've had at Adderall, you know, on the product management side, something you're really proud of what you and the team accomplished. Yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the things that coming into this uh, environment, there's a, a lot of challenges with regards to data. You know, the in any MarTech company, as anyone who's familiar would know that good and accurate data is the right thing that you need in the company. And the absence of that can create a lot of challenges. And, you know, we had no shortage of opportunities and challenges when I joined here. It was a lot of fun. Yet, I think we recognize that, you know, there's a way for us to leverage this data to bridge existing workflows to new workflows. And what I mean by that is that a lot of market marketers were looking at, you know, programs that, you know, just drive a lot of leads or a lot of traffic. And uh, the data wasn't strong enough to say whether it's like really qualified accounts and qualified people that you're bringing. And then this, the flip side of the equation is like there were a lot of companies that were running things like account-based marketing programs and so on, which didn't have a lot of depth in terms of, you know, are you reaching the right people in these accounts, not just the right, you know, the companies, but the right people in these accounts. And so we had to create this bridge between what I call a lead gen approach to an account-based marketing approach. And we, uh, you know, hustle data set and we created this in-between product that we call a account-based targeting, account-based retargeting for people who are familiar with the term retargeting. And it was pretty successful in terms of the performance and you know how effective it is in driving ROI for our customers. And I was in um, Chicago meeting some customers in the fall, and I was talking to them about this recent release of ours. And uh, you know I saw the eyes light up when I explained to them that there is this bridge that they don't have to look at you know, one approach or the other in, in isolation and you can do this with our product. And what was exciting is in talking to the three or four customers that I was talking to at that forum, you know, they all reached out to the account manager after the fact and they said, yeah, we need to do something with you guys and we need to start a purchase order right away. Let's, you know, close this deal. We, we like this product. And it was very exciting when you see these notes from the sales team saying, you know, the product that we just launched and released is, you know, is something that immediately is getting customer excitement. But I thought there was another component to that success story, which is important to highlight, which is that, you know, I, I'm a big fan of really being out there talking to customers and pitching the customers on how to talk about the product, what is the value of the product and why it helps them. And in doing so, you're also helping the sales team understand how to do that. 
oftentimes we do sales enablement trainings or so on. And again, you know, the context is that I'm talking about B2B products that are taken to market by a direct sales team. I recognize that it may be different for other products that have more of an online premium model. But if you have a B2B product that you're going to market with a direct sales force, you really have to make sure that the connection between the product and how the team talks about the product is as solid as it can be. And being in the field with them is is one way to ensure that they learn from you because you know more about the product than anyone else and they can represent the value proposition clearly enough to the customer. But I saw that happen during those visits and that was fascinating to see that lead to commercial outcomes as well. Yeah, I, I think there's there's a good point to dig into a little bit. And we talked about this uh, earlier before we were recording. But, um, you know, how do you really identify those features and those products that lead to commercial success, right? That's part of the issue that you were just talking about. Can you expound on that a little more? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that I'm very passionate about is making sure that we build a product roadmap and the plans for the product that are truly going to be aligned with how you take these products to the market and where where you are going to be focusing your energies on. And I often have found that, you know, challenges with regards to, you know, the sales team coming and saying something about, uh, hey, you know, this customer is asking for this feature and we don't have it or so on is a symptom of a lack of alignment early on in the process between, you know, the customer segment, the the type of uh, industries or the or the geos or the verticals that you're going after and building a product for that in the first place. And so I spend a lot of time early on in the process in ensuring that the sales leadership, the marketing leadership, and the product leadership are lockstep in alignment on our approach before we sort of, you know, talk about how to frame the product strategy. And I'll just give you a small example of this. If we as a team have decided to go upstream and going from a mid-market sort of customer segment to an enterprise customer segment, then you could expect that there will be a set of features and capabilities that are necessary for enterprise customers. You know, things around compliance, around security, around SOC2 rules and so on and so forth. And, And you have to shape your product roadmap to anticipate that and be ahead of time in dealing with those examples. But that requires that clarity upfront that this is the target that we're going after and this is the time we need to do to build up the product to be ready for that market. And then if you get, you know, let's say feedback from customers about some feature that a small business might be needing, then, you know, we bring it back and say, wait a second, that's not aligned with where we're going because we're, we agreed upfront that this is the type of customer that we are going to be going after. And this is the type of features we need uh, for that customer segment. And, and if you have, you know, a feature request from a sales rep that is outside of that, then it raises these flags immediately for the product leaders to go align with sales and marketing to say, look, are we driving the wrong demand for our sales team? Are we having the right approach in there and so on? So that focus is sort of the feedback that we get is the right one. And then for the rest of the feedback that you get from customers that are in your zone is then something you just 
you know, double down on this. Then you have to keep yourself honest in terms of is your product meeting the needs of those customers that you agreed to go to market with. And so you have to balance a couple of things. And one is absolutely making sure that, you know, you, you have a pulse on what each of these customers are telling you and, and you keep yourself honest on whether you have a strong enough product for that. At the same time, having a strong pulse on technology trends and what we have, you know, in, the, in terms of your company's key strength to see how you can innovate and, and build products for and features for those customers before they ask you for a solution. But that requires, you know, you to really have a very, very deep understanding of the customer's context and the problem. And to do so, you have to really not get distracted about many other segments, as I mentioned, but for the segment that you focus on, you just spend a lot of time with those customers and then you will understand the context so that you can preempt you know, some of the features that they may be asking. Wow. So there's a lot of good stuff there. Let me, let me dig into a couple different aspects. First, let's talk about where you were just finishing there, which is on focus. You know, as a product leader, how do you keep your team focused, right? Because they can often get pulled away by salespeople saying, oh, I can close this deal if only we did this, even though that might be not that necessarily that target customer, or it might be customers that try to take you in slightly different directions, right? How do you work with your product leaders, your product team to make sure they keep that focus? Yeah, so I think, you know, I spend a lot of time context setting. I think the first thing is to context set with uh, the team, the product uh, managers that are in the team, but also context setting, as I mentioned earlier, with the peers. And so if we have set the context and said, for example, we either have clarity or not lack of clarity on the type of customer that we're going after. So let's just focus on you know, either doubling down on the clarity or focus on finding the clarity before we execute on the product roadmap on which is the customer that we want to go after. So context setting is extremely important. And I test it by making sure that I give the, either my team or my stakeholders, my peers, a lot of uh, alternative statements. Like, imagine this were happening, then how would we deal with this? Imagine if we got this customer who came in from, let's say, the financial services vertical and asked us for this capability, are we willing to say no? Right. And so if we have these discussions earlier in terms of the trade-offs and the context setting has happened very clearly, then we have sort of established a foundation where we can make these decisions very quickly and stay focused on the area that we want to really execute on. So for the team as well, you know, I, I give a lot of guidance and context around just make sure we are asking the right questions like, A, is this the right customer segment that, you know, we chose to focus on? B, is this customer's need representative of all many customers in this market? You know, C, is there a workaround for the solution or is there a different way to solve the customer's problem? Because they may express it in the way they know it, but it may not be the right way to solve the problem. So you have to ask, like, what is the actual root problem if you have chosen to focus on it? And then that, and then just, you know, take it from there and incorporated very quickly into the roadmap. So that that would be a way that I would say, you know, we keep focus on, which is to make sure that if they are the right customer segment and if they are representative sample of that customer segment, and if we are truly sure that it's the right problem, that then we want to double down and focus on that. I like that. And but part of that too is influence too, right? We, we, uh, it reminds me of a tweet that we both retweeted from Lisa Perry where she wrote something to the effect of, so much of product management is influence. So 
When you're dealing with especially younger product managers, how do you advise them to gain and maintain that influence? Because you do need to be able to influence your constituents there, right? The sales guy who might think he's going to lose a deal because of the direction you're going, the customer who feels like a feature is super important. Talk to me a little bit about influence here and how you counsel your younger product managers. Yeah, I think um, there's a few things that get confused when initially people think about influence. In my view, people jump to the part where they are talking and they are trying to convince people and they think that that is influence. And I think that's wrong. For me, influence is more about active listening and communication after the active listening has happened and empathy building. And I think that is uh, a more important part of influence. And what I mean by that is that, you know, I think that, you know, there's there's this misperception for, especially in inexperienced PMs that, you know, we've been told that you're the CEO of the product, you can just go off and make a decision and tell people and they'll follow. I think it's, it's creating a lot of, you know, wrong assumptions about the role. Uh, but what is really important is to listen very carefully about, you know, the, the context, again, from the other person's viewpoint, why they're asking, ask pointed questions to make sure you understand, you know, the, the other person's point of view, and then be very clear in your communication that says you know, why you have a certain point of view that you do, but also make it feel as if it's like you're helping them. And, and you can only do that when you have listened really intently to the people's point of view and that you've done through, through empathy. You've, put your, you've tried to put yourself in their shoes and you can communicate your point of view in terms of the the context again of course backed up with facts and reasoning and and so on and if you've done that then it's a question of like then how do you help the other person and so i try to tell my the product managers in the team about like if we are trying to influence you know someone from uh, you know point a to point b let's try to also find out how what is the win for that person so that they don't see it as a you know as something that is demotivating so how can we spend more time trying to make their life easier and so if it's for example if it's a if it's a salesperson coming and saying that hey you know i might lose this deal if we don't build this feature and if it's for the wrong customer segment and if we say that i will say let me help you like let me talk to your sales leadership team and make sure that we're going after the right account let me talk to the marketing team make sure you're getting the right appointment set that you're talking to the the right customers and let's increase the volume of the right customers that you're talking to. Let me take that lead and help you with that. And I think that is uh, just a small example of, you know, how we can put the other people at ease in terms of uh, if you are trying to influence them in terms of uh, something that they were not expecting to something that, you know, they might be pleasantly surprised with down the line. So, but for all of this, it requires a lot of effort, it requires a lot of time. And that's the one thing that I encourage a lot of people who are getting into product management to have the patience and the grit really to go through the time that is required to build those relationships and to build up your reasoning and to spend the minutes or hours if you want to communicate with them. And there are no shortcuts here. And that's the hard work that you have to put in place. And that's the thing that, you know, that's a misconception that I want solid is that you can't just come in and, and say say stuff and think that people will get influenced quote unquote i think it's a it's just a, a lot of hard work that you have to put into it i like something a word you mentioned a few times there and that was empathy yeah 
Talk to me about that. Talk to me about the importance of that for product managers. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, so my experience is that you know, once you, the symptoms of the challenges that you face in product management are symptoms because we lose a pulse of the customer or of the people who are talking to the customers or your stakeholders. And so for me, I've found that the best way to, rather than solve problems related to the symptoms, you go to the cause, which is that you really have to understand other human beings. And it sounds like a soft way to say it, but it is a very important part of the job of a product manager is to really understand somebody else's point of view view, somebody else's concern, somebody else's, you know, uh, opinion. And you can only do that if you have patience. And if you have a genuine willingness to, you know, learn more about another point of view, and it it can't be faked, obviously. So to do that, you must spend the time and have the empathy to really uh, have the patience and understand the customers or the stakeholders, you know, questions or the, you know, CEO's questions or so on. You really have to genuinely believe that they mean well and you mean well. So let's spend the time to try to, you know, get to a common ground. And you can only do that when you uh, have a genuine desire to understand other people and to help them. So let's dig into one other area that I thought was interesting, right? You had a tweet in the past, uh, as a product leader, it's not your job to have the correct solution. It's your job to lead the team to find a solution. Tell me about this. Tell me how you reached this conclusion and, you know, why you thought it was important to tweet that. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that I just mentioned a little while ago, which is that the preconceived notions of, you know, product managers being in charge and being the CEOs of their product have created where I think they feel that they have to be the only people to have all the answers and, you know, nothing can be further from the truth. I think that uh, there is a, obviously a, a lot of, load on product managers' shoulders in trying to build a good product and help our customers. And everyone recognizes that. But I think the, the thing that I see a lot of people uh, miss is that you know creativity and problem solving are, are not the function of just one role. It's specifically, it's not just the function of the product manager's role. And so I think if you, as a product manager, if you stay focused on like the customer's problem, and be the expert in the customer's problem, then you have to also recognize that there are other people who will, you know, help you find a solution to the customer's problem. And so, you know, as you grow in your product management skills, especially, it's very important to, for example, pull in the design team earlier on in the process, pull in the engineering team early in the process, pull in the product marketing team earlier in the process, where you are collaborating together to find a solution to the customer's problem. And uh, that leads to sort of, you know, spec and so on and so forth down the line. But if you just take a universal point of view, like which is only your point of view, that this is the way to solve the problem, you're missing out on various viewpoints. And so that that's an extremely important component that helps you make sure that you're getting input from many different areas. And just as an example, uh, in one of the previous companies I worked at, we had a designer, you know, who's very uh, creative, you know, come up with product features that, you know, no product manager himself or herself did in the team. And that was not something which is an outlier. It's something to be embraced and it's something to be 
emulated in terms of how we want to think about this. And I love telling the team, you know, you, the feature development is not the job of just the product manager. It's it's coming from engineers. It's coming from designers. It's, it's coming. From, uh, we just have to come up with a, a collaborative approach to making sure that it is rigorous and disciplined, and we are sure about the, that being the right solution. And so, the product leader, therefore, your job is to give the context to that team, and that's what I mean by the leadership part. Make sure that they're making progress. Make sure they're making the decisions. It's this whole team coming together to find the solution, and this just amplifies as product managers grow in their careers. And as I did in my career, you know, I, I followed a lot of uh, lessons from High Output Management, the book written by Andy Grove, I believe. And th- th- there he talks about, you know, your the amplification of your efforts is when you are influencing not just uh, your team, but your team around you. And that's an important skill set to jump from an individual contributor to a manager of teams and to a leader of teams. And there's a lot of other good nuggets in that book, by the way, but I try to be very deliberate about asking like what needs to change when you go from being an individual product manager to a leader of teams. Now, kind of implied in your tweet too was this idea that product managers and product leaders often make this mistake, right? They try to you know, have the correct solution. Why, why do you think they, they feel the need to have this solution? Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's a little bit of this function of, a la- uh, in my view, a lack of clarity on the roles and responsibilities. So, for example, a lot of product managers are asked to, you know, write user stories or write PRDs or write market requirement documents or write product specs or what have you. And so they think that it's their job alone to have all the answers in those documents or any of these artifacts. But I think uh, what gets missed is that if you think about the role and responsibility, they are the shepherds of having a solid document that is an artifact about what to build, but they need not be the only author of that document. And they should be working with your constituents to be able to, you know, fill out the document in a good way. So for example, here at AdRoll, one of the artifacts is writing a product spec. And, you know, I, I try to make sure that all of the specs are co-written by design leads, engineering leads, and product leads. Because the spec is not just, you know, authored by one person. It's a group effort. And oftentimes people don't recognize that and they don't ask the question uh, about roles and responsibilities and they assume that it's only on their shoulders. And if you make that assumption that it's only on your shoulders, then it's a very heavy burden on you as a product manager. And so I think you it's a group effort. We, if, we, if we talk about the fact that product development is a group effort, I think building a good product is also a group effort. And that doesn't mean that the PM doesn't have their own skills. It's, as I mentioned before, as a PM, you know the customer and the customer's problem better than anybody else. And you have to have conviction in that. And once you have conviction in that and you've represented the problem space as best as, as you can, then the solution space is a joint exercise with the artifacts coming together from this broad team. And it's, again, a function of clarification of roles and responsibilities. Yeah, I think that that's an important thing to emphasize, right? A product manager doesn't have to have all the answers, but they do have to have the ability to facilitate working with others to get those answers, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's an important skill and a trait to have, which is the facilitation skills. But I think one of the things that the product managers need to have and have do have is a strong pulse on determining are you making progress 
a leadership is not just to bring people in a room, but to make sure that the team is making progress and moving along and the product is being built and it's being built the right way. And so, yeah, it's, it's about facilitation and keeping the ball rolling. So let's talk a little bit about the future now. You know, what, what trends do you see coming in product management? We see words like, you know, AI and growth all the time. Do they mean anything to you? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there definitely is a buzzword going on about a lot of terms. But I have no doubt that the way, you know, we can solve customer problems are going to be much better and much uh, deeper with specifically with an abundance of high quality data, good label data that we can apply very innovative machine learning models on top of. And they have application in a variety of use cases in a variety of uh, sectors and variety of industries. And I am uh, convinced we're only getting started here. So if we, if we look at, you know, asking ourselves, you know, what have been traditional uh, gaps in areas across the board. And I, I focus on MarTech and ad tech, but it's equally applicable in many other places where you have a lot of data now with new models. Uh, you, you, know, you have to really spend the time to understand the technology, understand the data, and understand these models, and uh, ask yourselves these questions of like, how are we going to make our customers' lives better with these? So, you know, long-winded way to say I'm, I remain very optimistic about the potential of you know, data and machine learning to solve customer problems. And I think that is going to be one of the things that product managers have to really get better at. And that, But this doesn't mean that it has to be treated like a black box. You have to really uh, spend the time, understand these aspects, you know, read the white papers, internalize them, you know, uh, talk to your data science team at length and build some points of view with a strong understanding of the data. And, and I think that's an, a skill set for product managers that's going to be important. For you know, everything else, I'm less knowledgeable to... I, I wouldn't want to dare talk about you know, blockchain or augmented reality or so on. Uh, I would say in my area of expertise, I, I think data and machine learning is a very important set of game changer. So let's talk a little bit about Mahir now um, as we're wrapping this up. What's your favorite product? Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at uh, a lot of the products that we use on a day-to-day basis and I use on a day-to-day basis, many products have been very well designed and they give a lot of productivity and joy on a daily basis. I, I love to use you know Slack and Twitter, for example, on a daily basis, and that's really a well-designed products. But one of the products that I really enjoy and for a very different reason is a, a small product called uh, MarsBot. It's a product from Foursquare. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but they were one of the early companies that created, you know, a very interesting use case around bots, which is that it just goes out of the way once you have a Mars bot and it recommends places and things to do. So let's say that, you know, I'm walking next to a new neighborhood. It'll send me a text message saying, hey, here you are. In this place, you might want to check out this bar or this restaurant or this coffee shop. And while you're out there, pick up these scones or pick up the you know croissant because it's like awesome. And I think it's a great small 
product because it's requiring me not to search. It's giving me the information. It learns from me every time I walk to certain places and it learns what I, which places I go to and it refines its recommendations to me. But it does so beautifully in a way that is behind the scenes. And I love such products where, you know, they don't require you to ask the question. They solve the problem for you and they bring delight when you never expected to get that. I like that. I'll have to check it out. I've been working on some similar things. So one final question for you today. Uh, three words to describe yourself. <laughs> three words that I would describe myself or others would describe about me would be one, passion. Two would be customers. And three would be results. I focus a lot and my teams would tell that about me. I'm very passionate about the products and the technology and the people. And, you know, it's, it's fun for me and they can see the fun on my face and then the work that I do. And yeah, I'm extremely passionate. I am always very keen to learn more about customers and make sure that we are building products that solve customer problems well. And that is a central piece of, you know, my being. And the last one is uh, results because um, I'm a big believer in, not just shipping product, but shipping products that have solved customer problems and therefore are delivering results for your company. And if you have delivered results for your company, you are getting your own success as uh, a human being and as a leader. So results are extremely important. Shipping the results, I like that. Well, thank you for joining me today. This was awesome, appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Eric. This has been Product Love. Thank you for tuning into this episode. Check out the rest of our articles and interviews on productcraft.com, an online magazine by and for product people.